When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 69, The Red Dragon. We know from history that Wales has always been associated with the Red Dragon. We know that there is a long tale involving this dragon and that it's probably mostly mythology as opposed to actual reality, yet that linkage remains even today. Even in the so-called pseudo-histories that we tell, we still associate the reason why these symbols became important in Wales. So let's start off by talking a little bit about kind of where this whole association starts at, where it carries on to, and where it goes after that. And why is it so significant? And what has helped it continue to be so significant in the Welsh understanding of itself and how Welsh people understand themselves. So first off, let us let me just take this moment to wish all of you who are listening to this uh, this week a happy holidays. I hope your holiday period was great. Uh, as this publishes, it's before New Year's. I hope you have a fantastic New Year's. Please be safe. And... Uh, I hope 2018 is a great year for you. So now let's move into our, our story. So let's talk about where the red dragon itself originates from. So as it's been written down, the only historical account that we have of a red dragon being associated with Wales, or the earliest recorded mention anyway, is by uh, that elusive figure Ninius in the History Britonium. In there, he discusses the idea that Ambrosius, as a young boy, is brought by Vortigern, the king of Britain at the time, according to the story, to deal with a problem that they're having in trying to build a castle at Denis Imeris. The idea that this fortification kept falling down or kept having problems, so they were trying to figure out what to do. So in the story... Ambrosius is supposed to be sacrificed. Uh, they realize that there's something else to this. And in later stories, he becomes Merlin, as opposed to Vortigern's Ambrosius, who, of course, is made famous by uh, Gildas. Um, but nonetheless, the, the basis of the story is still relatively similar, wherein Underneath this fortress, instead of it being Vortigern, it's Arthur in good old Geoffrey of Monmouth's version of this. And at the bottom of this well is found a red dragon and a white dragon. And these two dragons would fight eternally until one eventually would defeat the other. And the red dragon would drive the white dragon away or kill it. And 
this whole concept that it would be the dragon that would win out became to symbolize what the Welsh considered important, what the Welsh considered to be significant to them, which was defeating the Saxons. So that's where the association starts from, at least as far as the earliest known written example. There are others who make comparisons to the uh, dragon standards that were carried by the Romans, um, saying that there was an association with them. That is completely apocryphal. We don't know whether that's true or not, but the idea that the symbolism of Rome would be important to those that survived the end of Roman Britain makes some sense. Uh, the idea that some of these symbols would become important to them, again, makes some sense. But at the same time, we don't have record of it. Like I said, Historia Britonium is the first evidence we have of that. Uh, the second is in the Mabinagi. In the story of Flud and Flefis, uh, which I probably terribly mispronounced, but in that, a red dragon fights an invading white dragon, um, which then cause all sorts of things to happen. People come barren, other people miscarry babies, and Floyd uh, goes to try and deal with it, and they eventually dig a pit where they effectively continue to have this idea of this burial of these dragons and the idea that this sets in motion what happens later with Vortigern. Of course, these are great stories. It doesn't mean a lot. And we have to be realistic and say that, that we just don't know. The idea of a dragon being important to Welsh uh, people is something that seems to come a little later. Uh, Owen Glyndor, of course, is known to have carried a banner called the Golden Dragon, uh, which was actually raised over Carnarvon in uh, the Battle of Tut Hill in 1401 against the English. Uh, and again, it's this idea that this had ancient origins, this idea of a golden dragon on instead of being on a green and white banner, is actually on a white banner. And again, nobody really knows where this idea came from. But again, it's, it's said to have gone back to ancient times and, and there's a lot of mythology around it. And so we have this concept of dragons being very important in Welsh history, going back to the legendary periods, which makes you think that there must be a reason for this. But you can sometimes look too deeply into things. And, and as we know from Welsh history before, sometimes what seems like it's got a much older date to it actually turns out to be less ancient than we thought. Um, the reality of it is, is that what we do know is very limited and we do know some small amount of things. For example, the red dragon was to be, have been used on a British standard at the battle of Creasy in 1346 where Welsh archers who were dressed in green and white uh, ended up playing a significant role in defeating the French. This would also seemingly explain how Owen Glyndor would have used that standard just 50 years later in his idea of what the Welsh dynasty should be. And that continued to be the case even with uh, the House of Tudor, who, when Henry VII ended up taking the throne, actually invested the dragon into his 
his uh, emblage into his coat of arms. And so you have the Tudor dragon intermixed with the the English symbolism. So there is some of this, and I think it's, it's interesting to see that. Uh, during Henry VIII's reign, uh, the red dragon on a red and white background became a famous and very favorite emblem on the Royal Navy ships. Um, so there was this constant reuse of it and this constant idealism of it. And we have to remember that as we'll talk about history going forward into more modern eras and the later Middle Ages, the British public and especially the Welsh public didn't necessarily see things differently than their English counterparts on some things. So you can see where this association with the Tudors and the Tudors themselves associating strongly with the Welsh. I mean, Henry Tudor named his first son Arthur, who was the supposed to be the the next king of England, uh, who obviously would have been the king of Wales as well, uh, had Wales been a separate country. Um, so they, they, at this point, have this strong association, you know, that Henry VII is seen as the first Welsh king of Britain uh, since ancient times. I mean, that's one of the associations he strongly puts forward in his, his taking the throne. So there is this idealism of Welsh history, which comes in the Tudor period because of this association with their background. And we'll go into much further detail down the road about how legitimate that background is, how much is that association really about trying to create unity with a group that they don't necessarily have connections with? We just, it's an unclear situation. I mean, the Red Dragon is just one of those things where it's obviously something that was meaningful for a very long time to the Welsh, yet it doesn't really enter into any of the monarchies. Like, if you think about it, none of the, the kingdoms of Gwyneth, uh, or of Powys, or of Doifeth, or Doithbarth, seem to have taken on that that banner, at least not directly that there's written evidence of it. There's a lot of suspicion, but I don't, because, I mean, again, going back to, unfortunately, one of our sources being Jeffrey of Monmouth, the idea that the Welsh dragon was carried by uh, Cadwallon in the middle of the 6th century by other kings of, of Gwyneth is really without any actual evidence. We don't know. Um, it could be accurate, but we just, we aren't sure. And the reality of it is the flag that we have today comes to us during the 20th century. It is actually uh, in 1911 during the Carnarfon investiture of Edward as Prince of Wales. Um, however, it isn't obviously until 1959 that it's recognized as a symbol for Wales, uh, the nation of Wales, the principality of Wales, whatever you want to choose to call it. Um, yet it is strongly associated with Wales, so much so that I think if you didn't have it, I think people would get confused. You know, the cross of St. David, which is another symbol of Wales, isn't really used in the Welsh if you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, 
keto, protein plus, or vegan and veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factor's ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, presentation. And if we look at, like, say, Llewellyn the Last, his symbolism was the four lions, not the dragon. So it's interesting to kind of see how these things have kind of taken place over the years. And we don't really know, other than maybe it being Owen Glyndur, where these symbolisms have come from, how they've become so ingrained in the Welsh consciousness to the point where it was the obvious symbol of Wales if you were going to use a symbol. You know, is it really a Tudor thing? Is it a Glyndur thing? Is it something even older than that? Is it something from the Romans? Was it something that even predated the Romans? I mean, the Roman Draco, which again is carried as a standard, it, it was something of a uh, a scare tactic, if you want to call it that, where it would make some ungodly noise when carried through uh, as wa- as you walk because of the way the echoing would go within the, the structure of the device. And so it, you would hear this, in quotes, roar from it. So there, there could be some reason for it being used, again, as something symbolically throwing back to the authority of Rome. But of course... Dragons have been with us from ancient periods. We know about them being written down in many other sources. So it's always an interesting thing to sort of see how they kind of come about. It seems like an ancient device. It's hard to say, you know, how old this really is. Um, I mean, from my own suspicions, you would wonder if maybe finding the heads of dinosaurs and other things that you couldn't really explain in that period of time created this idea that instead of being, um, you know, what we know them to be, that they were associated with being dragons or something scary, something monstrosity that we couldn't explain. So you can imagine that people would call them things that, that maybe nowadays we wouldn't call them. And But we don't know that that's true. That's just simply a suspicion that I have based on 
what seems to be a, a possible evidence, but we don't know that for sure. Even the word usage of dragon and things like the King James Version of the Bible doesn't necessarily mean what we think of when we think of a dragon, but there is evidence that dragons in and of themselves have been symbols from ancient times. So there really could be a concept of dragon that goes back very far that could be associated with what we consider to be the Iron Age and the Bronze Age. And if so, then who knows how old the symbolism could be for Wales and for the Welsh people. And going forward, where that takes us, you know, we'll never really know for sure unless you can invent a time machine to go back. But I think it's an interesting fact that that dragon, or at least an image of what we consider to be a dragon, is something very, very ancient and very old, and something that means something to a number of civilizations across the world. And I think it's it. Like I said, I think it's fascinating to see how whales became so associated with this when. You know, in other cultures, the idea of a red dragon, sometimes dragons can be considered lucky. Sometimes they're considered evil. Sometimes they're the embodiment of uh, dark powers. And so it's it's really interesting. And, and you would love to be able to understand better why that association, you know, why is it that a white dragon is considered to be worse than a red dragon? Thus, the why you associate it with the Saxons. Is it simply a color choice? Is there reasons behind it? You know, we just, unfortunately, will never be sure unless we somehow find something that explains better where this all came from. But but at this point, that's pretty unlikely. But nonetheless, I think, it, I think it's a fascinating thing. I think it's a fascinating topic. I think the idea that we are moving forward with this I, uh, as a symbol of Welsh as a people, as in a country, and how heavily that association is made has created links to people across the world. And it certainly is something that, that I am mindful of, you know, at home. I mean, we have, in my own house, we have the Welsh flag up, and I often look at the Welsh dragon and kind of look at its scales and and what it is and, and marvel at how that symbol has become so important to us over the years and how it symbolizes something beyond just being a flag. It symbolizes a country in ways that are hard for others to sort of explain or, or get across. And I think as we go through the years and as we continue to use this banner as a symbol for Wales, I think the less people kind of see it as being something separate and, and, the more it becomes just a part of the entire country. As as my wife, who's not Welsh, says, you know, it's the best flag she's ever seen. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of agree with her. And I think partially because it symbolizes something more than just being um, a drawing of something. It's not sort of fi uh, symbolistic. It's it is what it is, and I think that's one of the fantastic qualities it has. But uh, anyway, uh, as I said, I hope you all have a, a good year, a good new year. Uh, we're going to go back into the Middle Ages uh, very shortly, and we'll be discussing more about that. And uh, if you have any questions, comments, and concerns, you can reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com. You can reach us on Twitter at uh, Welsh History Pod. 
And you can uh, go along on our Facebook page and uh, like us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Take care. Have a great new year. Bye. Edge of the Abyss Creations is a proud sponsor of the Welsh History Podcast, your one-stop shop for unique jewelry, paintings, and other crafty creations. You can find us at facebook.com slash edgeoftheabyss1. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more info, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.